the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. He determines not to let his discouragement rule his heart or his head. He determines. I might feel like this. I feel pretty low. I feel downcast. I feel discouraged. My tears are my food day and night. I can't stop crying. I feel like God has forgotten me. I'm oppressed by all of this, but I'm going to fight through this. There is this fighting spirit. He does not allow the emotions of discouragement to rule his heart or his head. This is important. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. In Psalm 42, we find that David did not let his discouraged spirit rule his heart or head. Instead, he looked to God and fought through the sadness occurring in his life. Pastor Gary teaches today that we too must not allow the struggles in our lives to dictate who we are. Instead, we must fight for our relationship with Christ to be the foundation and hope that makes us, us. If you're in life, you find that hardships are hardening your heart. Give it to God and push through it. Do not allow things of this world to wreck your spirit. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Psalms chapter 42 for part one of today's message titled, Hope for the Downcast. To our passage here, Psalm 42. I trust you found your place there already now, Psalm 42. Uh, Let me give you just a brief introduction to this chapter before we read it. You will notice as we head into Psalm 42 that there is a section break right above the chapter with the title that says, Book 2, Psalm 42 to 72. Now, what is that all about? The whole book of Psalms is actually divided into five subsections. There are five books within the larger book of Psalms, and I don't expect you to remember this. I'm not going to quiz you on it, but just for those of you who like to take notes about this kind of thing, this is the five-book uh, delineation. Book one is Psalms 1 to 41. Book two is Psalm 42 to 72. Book three is Psalm 73 to 89. Book 4 is Psalm 90 to 106, and Book 5 is Psalm 107 to 150. It is really unknown as to why these sections are divided as they are. Some Jewish tradition says that they mimic the first five books of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so there are five books in the Pentateuch and 
five books here in the book of Psalms. Nobody really knows. The earliest manuscripts we have of the book of Psalms was discovered in the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947. The Dead Sea Scrolls originate in the first century A.D. And even then, in the oldest manuscripts we have from the Dead Sea Scrolls, these chapter, uh, these book delineations were um, mentioned throughout the book of Psalms. So this is from the earliest and most ancient manuscripts we have of the book of Psalms. These sections have been divided. Perhaps it is maybe more practical because the book of Psalms is the largest book of the Bible with 150 chapters. And so maybe it's more manageable to break it down into smaller subsections. But nobody really knows. When you look here at chapter 42, I want you to notice the subtitle. Uh, The subtitles are also important as we read through the book of Psalms. The subtitle says that it is a maskil. A maskil, we mentioned earlier in the book of Psalms, is a term that means that it was written to teach others. So Psalm 42 is an instructive psalm. It is intended to teach us something in particular. We'll see that when we go through it. And I want you to also notice in the subtitle, it says, Of the Sons of Korah. Now, if you have a King James Bible, it has a different pronoun. It says, For the Sons of Korah. And Bible scholars are divided as to how to translate that Hebrew pronoun. Is it of the sons of Korah or is it for the sons of Korah? Because it means that either they wrote it, that it is of them, that they wrote this song, or it is for them, someone else wrote it for them, to lead. We find out that the sons of Korah are orchestra and uh, choral leaders in the tabernacle during the time of King David. They are musicians. Some Bible scholars actually believe that it was written by David and he wrote it for the sons of Korah to teach as a, as a chorus in the tabernacle of the Lord. I read one commentary that said, you know, even though David's name is not on this psalm, that it, sm- quote, it smells a lot like the son of Jesse. Well, I don't know what the son of Jesse smelled like, but if it is, in fact, David's uh, penmanship here, um, nevertheless, it is attributed to the sons of Korah. There are 11 psalms that are attributed to the sons of Korah. Who exactly are the sons of Korah? The sons of Korah are descendants of one man named Korah who was a Levite. He was of the tribe of Levi. And Korah was a bad dude in the Bible. He led a rebellion against Moses and against his brother Aaron. And Korah incited two other guys named Dathan and Abiram to join him in his rebellion. And between those three, they were able to gather 250 other Israelites who rebelled against Moses and Aaron with them. And the Bible says that that Korah just was tired of Moses' leadership and rose up against Moses And so one day God spoke to Moses and said, I want you to gather Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and the 250 rebellious Israelites with them, and I want you to gather all of them in front of the tabernacle. And so Moses gathers them all in front of the tabernacle. And then God says to Moses, Moses, step away. You know, it's never a good thing for someone else when God says to you, step away from someone else. Because what God ended up doing was opening up the earth and swallowing Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and 250 rebellious followers with them. That's how God dealt with rebellion back in the day. And that was this Korah. Now, he either had sons that were too young and innocent or old enough but refused to be a part of the rebellion who did not get swallowed up by the Lord's judgment. And so they survive. And many generations later... 
those sons of Korah, descendants of Korah, are these musicians and choral leaders and orchestra leaders here in Psalm 42. Which really, when you think about it, is a wonderful, redemptive story. Because here one man is very rebellious against God, and God takes him out for it. But yet, his descendants generations later will be worship leaders in the house of God. And so a wonderful redemptive story. So that is the background behind um, the subtitle here. And now let me read Psalm 42. It's only 11 verses and then we'll pray and then we'll, we'll see what the instruction is here, why this is a maskil. In Psalm 42 we read, For the director of music, a maskil of the sons of Korah, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that the theme of Psalm 42 is about discouragement. Uh, inasmuch as the writer here is reflecting his feelings of being downcast, that is the word that he uses often through Psalm 42. In fact, the word downcast appears three times here in Psalm 42 and once in Psalm 43. And I'll just uh, review them with you here. By the way, the word downcast only appears 11 times in the entire Bible. Only 11 times. And four of those times are right here between chapters 42 and 43. And again, in chapter 42, verse 5, you can underline, the psalm says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? In verse 6, he goes on to say, My soul is downcast within me. And then also in verse 11, he ends the psalm repeating again, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And we're not going to look particularly at Psalm 43, but if you'll take a glance over there, again in verse 5, the psalmist uses the same word. In fact, the same verse, verse 5, is the same verse that ends chapter 42. In 43, verse 5, it says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So the word downcast is a predominant theme here in chapter 42. It is the Hebrew word shakah, 
And shakat means to sink or depress. To sink or depress. That's how the psalmist is feeling. He's feeling depressed. He is feeling sunken down. And so he uses this word shaka in the Hebrew to communicate his downcast feeling. Now, some English translations actually say cast down versus downcast. And it actually carries the same connotation. Remember in Psalm 23, we talked about how sheep can sometimes become cast. When they become cast, a sheep ends up on its back. It is one of the most helpless, hopeless conditions of a sheep. And in fact, sometimes they will die if a shepherd does not upright them, especially on a hot summer day. Uh, They will die in that position because their body structure, their proportion is such that they have little spindly legs. They can't roll over and get their legs up underneath them. Uh, In addition, they have the weight of their fleece. And so when a sheep gets cast, it gets on its back. It becomes hopeless and helpless. That's what the psalmist is writing about here, using this word downcast. He is as if on his back, feeling hopeless and helpless, and can't seem to get his footing. You ever felt like that? Discouraged to the place where you can't even seem to get upright. You can't seem to get your footing. You can't seem to get... You know yourself together, you just feel just overwhelmed and and you feel cast down. You feel cast. You feel hopeless and helpless. That's the connotation behind the word that is being used here. And it sort of describes seasons that we can all go through from time to time. There are seasons of discouragement that all of us will experience from time to time. Yes, even Christians, okay? I, I had a guy come to me Wednesday night after service. And he said, you know, I'm interested in receiving Christ as my Savior. But he said, one of the hindrances for me is I look around at all these people, all these Christians, and they all seem to be so happy like they don't have a care in the world. He says, I have a lot of cares in my world. And I looked them straight in the eyes and I said, please, understand, these people have a lot of cares in their world too, right? Okay? We all have cares in our world. We all have times of discouragement. By the way, when I said that, it seemed freeing to him, and he prayed to receive Christ with me. So it is good to recognize that even though we can have the joy of the Lord, there are times that even Christians, all of us, everybody, can go through seasons of discouragement, seasons when we feel downcast, when we just can't seem to get our footing. That's what the psalmist is writing about here, and that's what we're talking about today. Now, I'm not talking about clinical depression. He's not talking about clinical depression here either that some go through, for which some need treatment and some need medication. Although, I do still hope and pray that this Bible study will be an encouragement even to you if that relates to you. Uh, But what I am talking about uh, are the seasons that all of us will go through from time to time that are discouraging. Now, when we look here at Psalm 42, we're not sure what has precipitated this season for the psalmist, but he describes it in different terms. I'm going to highlight it for you. If you'll notice verse 3, first part of verse 3, he says, My tears have been my food day and night. He says, basically, I can't stop crying. That's how bad it is. I can't stop crying. He says in the latter part of verse 7, He says, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. In other words, he says, I I feel like I'm drowning. Just feel like I'm I'm, I'm, I'm underwater here on this. 
And then he also says in verse 9, first part of verse 9, he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? He says, I feel forgotten. I feel forgotten by God. He says, I'm, I'm crying day and night. I feel overwhelmed. And I feel forgotten by God. And maybe, maybe many of you can relate. At least for a season. And on, on top of this, the psalmist says here, and while I'm at this low point and feeling miserable, I got people coming around me all day saying, where is your God? Look at verse 3. He says, all day long, people ask me, where is your God? He repeats it again in verse 10. He says, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? And maybe you can relate to that too. When you're down and you're low and you're discouraged, the worst thing is when people come up to you and be like, I thought you were a Christian. You know, aren't aren't Christians supposed to be happy all the time? Where's your joy? Where's your happiness? Where's your God? Just adding insult to injury. Just pouring salt in the wound. They're taunting him. So, discouragement has set in like a heavy, wet blanket. And I've entitled today's teaching, Hope for the Downcast, out of Psalm 42. Hope for the downcast. Now, if you're here today, and you're on cloud nine, and everything is going well, and life is firing on all cylinders for you, that's wonderful. I don't want to take any of that away from you. Count your blessings. But you still might want to take notes. Because somebody once said to me, and I think it's pretty accurate, chances are in life, it can be divided into these three seasons. You're either heading into a storm, you're either in the middle of a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. That's generally true. You're either heading into a storm, or maybe you're finding yourself in the middle of one, or you're coming out of it. You know, there are seasons when you come out of storms and you're like, you know, thank God that he's brought me through that. I don't want to go through that again. And you can enjoy wonderful seasons of joy and happiness, and it's like, you know, nothing is going wrong, and everything's going wonderful. But in reality... It is likely true that most of us are either heading into a storm in the middle of one or coming out of one. So it might be good for us to just take some notes and to recognize some things that the psalmist says here in chapter 42 helped him to get through his season of discouragement. So we're going to look at five things in terms of hope for the downcast. The first thing that I want to mention to you, and I just kind of summarize the overall message of Psalm 42 in this first point, and it is this, that he does not surrender to the emotions of discouragement. When you, God bless you. When you, when, you look, when you look at this 42nd Psalm, it is pretty clear throughout it that he has a fighting spirit. He's not going to surrender to the emotion of discouragement. He's going to press on and he's going to persevere and you see it reflected all through it. He determines not to let his discouragement rule his heart or his head. He determines, I might feel like this, I feel pretty low, I feel downcast, I feel discouraged. My tears are my food day and night. I can't stop crying, I feel like God has forgotten me. I'm oppressed by all of this, but I'm going to fight through this. There is this fighting spirit. He does not allow the emotions of discouragement to rule his heart or his head. This is important. 
Notice again in verse 5, he says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And then he says, Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And the word yet translates also still. He says, you know, this is how I feel. Still, yet, I will praise God. He says it again down in verse 11. He closes the psalm by saying, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I'm still going to praise God. This might be how I feel, but through thick and thin, I'll praise him. I may not be in a good place right now, but I will yet praise him. So I will put my hope in God. Remember the story in Acts chapter 16 of Paul and Silas? They were making their way through the city of Philippi. And the Bible says that they were arrested for preaching the gospel. They were beaten, flogged, and then imprisoned. And in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, it says, But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying to the Lord and singing hymns to God. Now, they weren't in the best of circumstances. They had been beaten and imprisoned. But yet at the midnight hour, they're still going to press through and fight their discouragement with prayer and worship. They're going to still praise God. And the psalmist understands this. I have to fight through this. I have to fight through this. I cannot allow the discouragement to overtake me and to wallow in this. I must fight through this and persevere through this. And the Bible gives us encouragement about it in James 1.12. It says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Or woman, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And in Galatians 6, 9, it says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest of righteousness if we do not give up. So do not give up. Persevere. Do not surrender to the emotions of discouragement. The psalmist fights through it and perseveres through it. Number two, we also see here that one of the things he does is he remembers the good things. He trains his mind to think about those things that are good and pure and lovely and those things that are honorable. And he remembers a few things here. Look at verse 4. One of the things that he remembers, he says, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Now notice what he says there in verse 4. He says, I remember when I used to go to the house of the Lord. Now, this is both a positive and a negative thing that he's saying here. Okay, the positive thing is he's saying here, I remember the good times when I went to church. He says, when I went to the house of the Lord with the throng of people, when I would gather with God's people in God's house, oh, what a delight. It did my soul wonder. But then he also, the negative part is he says, I used to go. He says, I remember when I used to do this. So he's recalling and he's reminiscing something that is important that he has forsaken that he needs to get back to because he realizes this was a highlight of my week. He says, I remember the joy of my soul. I remember when I went to the house of God with the throng of people. He said, I would even lead the procession up to the house of God. And there is something transformational when God's people get together in God's house and study God's word and worship the king of the universe. There is just something that naturally happens in your soul and in mine 
to bring us out of despair and discouragement when we are just in the house of God, surrounded by God's people in fellowship with one another, worshiping Him and studying His Word together. It does the heart wonder, and it does the heart good. And that's what He's saying here. We're so glad you joined us for Pastor Gary's message today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching in the book of Psalms and that God is whispering the words of comfort and strength to your heart. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you can hear all of Pastor Gary's messages through this book as well as the entire Bible. Be sure to check out the companion resources while you're there found under the Teachings tab. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about how God is working in your life. Feel free to join the conversation on our Facebook page or check out what's going on at Cornerstone Connection on Twitter or Instagram. We're here to chat with you in person, too. So give us a call at 703-771-1500. Let us know how we can be praying for you. That number again is 703-771-1500. That's all we have time for today. Pastor Gary will have much more to share from his verse-by-verse study through Psalms when you join us again, right here on Cornerstone Connection. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.